Want to earn 20 to 25 hours of literacy professional development? Check out a new online course led by host Susan Lambert, Foundations to the Science of Reading. Join fellow educators in this self-paced course designed to equip you with the knowledge and skills to bring evidence-based literacy practices into your classroom. Explore eight modules that will strengthen your understanding of the science of reading and earn a course completion certificate. Find out more information, access a preview, and register at amplify.com slash SORcourse. This is Susan Lambert, and welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast from Amplify, where the science of reading lives. With our seventh season coming to an end, and with the NFL season right around the corner, it's time to share a very special conversation with you all. Back at the Plain Talk conference, I sat down one-on-one with Super Bowl-winning wide receiver Malcolm Mitchell. He got it away and completed it! This is Malcolm Mitchell for the touchdown! When I scored a touchdown, they need to probably put my name in a newspaper. People probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Right. Which one are you more proud of now, though? Uh, reading. After playing for the New England Patriots, Mitchell retired from the NFL in 2019. By that point, he'd already authored a children's book and became an advocate for youth literacy. But Mitchell himself wasn't always a confident reader. I'm in my English 1102 class, and we're studying Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. And we're asked to read A Telltale's Heart, but the teacher says we're going to do popcorn-style reading. Now, they have different words for it today, round-robin reading, but essentially it's one student reads, and then that student selects another student to read. Okay. And when this happened in college, I thought to myself, oh, no, I thought, I was past that. I thought I didn't have to do that one anymore. I thought this was gone. Yeah. And I mean, I immediately break out in a sweat. On this episode, we'll hear Malcolm Mitchell's journey from his childhood in Georgia to joining a book club full of older white women while starring on the football field to his current work as literacy advocate. Please enjoy this conversation with Malcolm Mitchell. So we have with us today, Malcolm Mitchell. What an honor. I've never had a former professional sports person on the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, most people uh, look at me and say, are you sure you were once an athlete? I don't really have the muscles or anything like that anymore. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would say that you look like a former athlete. So yeah, okay. I don't know what that means. But anyway, we're we're glad to have you here. And as long as you're talking about it, when you introduce yourself to people now and say what you do, what do you explain to them about about what you do these days? Usually my answer is all jumbled up. <laughs> <laughs> but I usually say I'm a picture book author. Okay. That's something that people can understand. If I say uh, youth literacy advocate or nonprofit leader, that's a bit more am- ambiguous and that's hard to grasp hold of. Yeah. So I introduce myself as a picture book author how many how many books have you authored three so far what are the titles the magician's hat was my first title the second is my very favorite book in the whole wide world and the third is titled hey georgia very cool yeah when did you decide that you you thought like i'm gonna write i'm gonna write a picture book it's so 
I don't know how I got there. <laughs> I mean, when I think about the community that I grew up in um, and how disconnected we were from the concept of reading or literacy or using books as a driving force to create economic opportunities, me landing on being a picture book author and a nonprofit leader um, in the literacy space is is compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have very strong faith, so I believe there's something higher that creates opportunities. I feel like it's our responsibility to see them and take advantage of them. So along the way, I noticed this resource that was useful, and I just wanted to do my part in spreading the message on it on what it could actually do for your life. Yeah. So the concept of me becoming a picture book author was based on me wanting to share the magic of reading with as many students as possible. That's really cool. So you said you talked a little bit about the community that you grew up in. What what was that community like, yeah. and what were the opportunities for you? Yeah. I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia. Okay. A little quick story: in two thousand nine, uh, Valdosta, Georgia, was a part of an ESPN competition called Title Town USA, oh. and it was to find the winningest sport program in the country. Okay. Now this wasn't isolated to high schools but it included collegiate institutions and professional organizations. Okay. So Valdosta High School was in the, the, the mix with the Chicago Bulls during the Michael Jordan era, wow. and even the New England Patriots and all their rich sport history, mm-hmm. and Valdosta High School won. Wow. So I grew up in an environment where football was faith. Yeah. So it's no anomaly that I became an athlete. That's the environment that I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, we did not have a plethora of financial resources. Uh, some would consider it a poverty pocket or book desert, depending on um, statistics and comparable s- statistics. Uh, so for the most part, I grew up as a child who played sport, was not exposed to a lot due to a lack of resources. Um, but had a loving mother who allowed me to believe anything was possible. Hmm. Moms are good people. I'm a little biased, but (laughs) as a mom, moms are good people, right? Fair enough. (laughs) What about the role of academics? What did that play in your life there in in the football center of Georgia? (laughs) Academics were a necessary evil to be a part of athletics. (laughs) Had to get the grades to play. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's that was that was the way you thought about it in in my neighborhood mm-hmm. it's what's required to play a 72 okay well my objective is a 72 hmm. because me playing football is the desire not me becoming this person with a high level of intellectual prowess hmm. so we made decisions based off of that principle and you know that put a lot of us in very unfortunate situations as we got older. I say high school is probably the most confusing place because the things that you need to do most to position yourself for a fruitful life are the things that are ridiculed. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People are calling each other nerds and picking on each other for getting straight A's or studying. Those are the things you should actually be doing. Right. (laughs) But those are the things in certain communities that are frowned upon. Yeah. 
and some of it could be cultural identity or cultural misunderstandings. I, I'm not fully aware, but I know in my high school, you know, the football players reign supreme. Yeah. So in your world, academics were what only I, the gateway to get to play football, whatever you had to yeah, do to get there. It was, yeah. okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Because I don't really have a choice. Mm. <laughs> but you ended up at, you ended up playing at the University of Georgia, right? Correct. Yeah. Go so dogs. It's, it's, it's necessary to say that anytime you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just. <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, See, there you go. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Got to honor that for sure. Um, what's the process for, for getting into college at that at that point as a as a football player they I mean you have the academics but I have a funny story um, <laughs> great <laughs> I was in 11th grade and I was more into art or cartoons oh. and music okay my I have an older brother who was actually the, the star athlete and I became a football player because that was my father figure Sure. You know, we didn't yeah. have a father at home. I have an older brother. That's the person I look up to. What he does, I will copy. Okay. He started playing football. I started playing football with no understanding of anything football related. All I knew was that I was gifted with this athletic ability to play well, and I was rewarded for it. I'm le- that all is said to lead up to this point. In 11th grade, I started getting recruited by colleges. Okay. I had no idea what that meant. Wow. Um, people like Nick Saban, Mark Rick, uh, Urban Meyer, they would call my phone trying to have conversations with me about offering me scholarships. I didn't understand that concept. Wow. So I would ignore their phone calls. And when the coach, when our head coach at the time asked me, Malcolm, why are you ignoring these calls? I said, well, they're strangers. <laughs> why do I want to talk to a stranger? Um, so... Uh, For me, I didn't understand the process at all until uh, I started getting recruited. And that's Mm -hmm. when I learned about uh, calculating a GPA or taking the SAT or the ACT and having requirements to get into universities. Mm -hmm. And for athletes, the requirements are not as daunting as for other students. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just learned what I needed to do. Uh, set some goals and objectives and strive to accomplish it because I really enjoyed playing mm-hmm. and it was a sense of happiness for me and my family yeah a lot of reward right for that like there, feeling, yeah. yeah well there's a lot of incentives I mean <laughs> just for a comparable when I scored a touchdown one they need to probably put my name in a newspaper people probably tell me good job all around town mm-hmm. and they'll be I'll be celebrated for that uh, but when I finished one book no one ever said anything wow so which one am I more likely to repeat right which one are you more proud of now though uh reading yeah yeah it's it's just a gift that never stops giving if you commit to it mm. um Football was amazing and gave me a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Created a platform that it's hard to say would have been created in any other situation. I mean, it helped me provide for my family. It helped and it helped me understand accountability, responsibility. It really set me up to try to live my best life as a, a man in society. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but reading gave me something deeper. It's mm. interesting. Yeah. I want to I go back a little bit because you were talking about that 11th grade year with all these people calling you, trying to figure out what recruiting was. That must have, that must have been a lot of pressure. Not when you're blissfully ignorant. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and I was I was blissfully ignorant until about twenty three years old. Um, so honestly, it wasn't a lot of pressure because I didn't understand what was happening. Hmm. I mean, I knew the opportunities, but yeah. I didn't understand the gravity of it all. I didn't I didn't know that kids around the world desired to do that. Because it's, it wasn't my immediate desire. Yeah. Remember, I started playing because I watched my brother. Watch your brother play, yeah. Right? So when Nick Saban showed up at my high school and everybody in my school is going nuts, I'm like, well, I'm going to skip school that day. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I don't get it. Right, And yeah. it sounds silly. Yeah. And it sounds a bit ignorant, but it's true. I did not know. I didn't know the gravity of the opportunities. Hmm. So, no, there was no pressure because I didn't understand that anything was required of me except just be who I was. Hmm. So when is it when is it that you discovered books or decided, like, there's something to this reading thing um, that made you yeah. dig in a little bit? I was in my English 1102 class. There's two phenomenons that took place. English 1102, that would be 11th grade or in your college? That's college. Okay. That's freshman year of college. Freshman year, okay. Freshman year, second semester. Okay. I'm in my English 1102 class, and we're studying Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. And we're asked to read A Telltale's Heart, but the teacher says we're going to do popcorn-style reading. Now, they have different words for it today, round-robin reading, but essentially it's one student reads and then that student selects another student to read. Okay. It's the non-reader's worst nightmare. Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, getting, I'm starting to sweat thinking about it, <laughs> yeah. you know? And when this happened in college, I thought to myself, oh, no, I thought I was past that. I thought I didn't have to do that one anymore. I thought this was gone. Yeah. And, I mean, I immediately break out in a sweat. Because I'm afraid that I may get called on. Right. And I know my reading ability is not up to par. Yeah. Well, a student raises her hand and she begins to read. And she says, you know what? I'd like to read the entire short story. I thought to myself, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And I went back to texting on my phone, probably. (laughs) Um, She started to read, and to me it sounded like music, poetry. It sounded like Jimi Hendrix playing the guitar or Bob Dylan blowing in his harmonica it's just a sound that i had never heard before Mm. it just made me curious and then it also challenged me as a competitor because i knew i could not do it at the same level Mm. it's the first thing that happened but i kind of ignored it because yeah she can read well but i'm all sec freshman of the year (laughs) and people are the the professor wants to take a picture with me right so whatever yeah (laughs) Well, the uh, second thing happens in the same class. We get our report back for a project or an assignment that we had to turn in. And one student receives her report back, and she goes ballistic. I mean, she's screaming at the professor. She, she cries, and she storms out. And I'm thinking to myself, what happened? Right. Um, one student looks at me and says, well, she's not happy with the grades she received. 
And I said, well, what did she get? Someone said she got an 89. I said, an 89? I mean, I would have hung that up on the refrigerator. <laughs> I went back to my room that night, and I Googled why do grades matter. Because I couldn't understand why someone would have that type of reaction to getting an 89. Wow. Um, and after looking at a few videos, I realized that that student understood something I did not. That her academic performance would dictate her future opportunities. And mm -hmm. then I thought to myself, maybe I should give this a try. And I did. And I quit within three minutes of trying. Again, there's this, this internal push and pull of me feeling like I need to, to take on this challenge of becoming a proficient reader, but also, while this is happening simultaneously, I'm excelling as an athlete. Right. Right? Why do I need to read when I can catch really well? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And for the majority of my life, for all of my life, nobody could answer that question. And I don't think anyone really wanted to or tried to because of my athletic ability led them to believe that I'd be okay either way. Yeah. And that's just not the case. One night I was watching Jay-Z rap videos on YouTube. And you know how YouTube works, right? I do. You watch a video and then they begin to populate themselves. Yeah. After, you know, well, I fall asleep while I'm watching videos and I wake up. I guess I watch so many of the videos. I, I wake up to him doing an interview with this fat white guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I learned that that fat white guy was Warren Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the time, it was like, it, Jay-Z was a pinnacle. Right. We didn't know about Warren Buffett in my, in, you know, in my community. <laughs> yeah. we, we knew about Jay-Z. Yeah. You know? Well, in this atmosphere, he was sitting down with a suit on, and his, he was articulating himself much differently than he did in his music. Hmm. And he said that he used books to help build his intellectual ability to brainstorm in real time to come up with this music. I don't know if you know this, but Jay-Z is known for never having to write down a lyric. Hmm. He just brainstorms it. No, I did not know that. And then he, he said in this, he said in this, this uh, video that he uses reading to help him build those abilities. Wow. He never mentioned that in one of his music videos. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Eventually, I made the connection that if you wanted to build a sustainable life for yourself, this is before I even learned the statistics. I just made the, the, the assumption based off of the references that I heard. Because after Jay-Z said it, I heard Warren Buffett say something similar. Then right. I heard other, someone else say something similar. Mm -hmm. And so many of these successful people were saying the same thing. I thought to myself, if I want to have any sustainable success in my life, whether I'm an athlete or not, I need to be a proficient reader. Hmm. And that's when I became committed to the process. After obtaining enough evidence... Wow. But you, you list, you, there must have been a reason you were listening for that, right? Like that seed was planted maybe before Edgar Allan Poe or maybe at Edgar Allan Poe. Who knows? But it's, it's interesting that somehow that seed was planted and you kept hearing this over and over I and think, over again. I don't think it was a seed of academics, but I think my mom definitely planted the seed of always 
trying to be your best hmm. and maximize your potential. Yeah. My mom stressed that more than anything else as a child. Hmm. And I think that is what made me latch on to reading because I saw that as the thing that would allow me to become the best version of myself. That's amazing. I think that is why Edgar Allan Poe, those moments stuck because they represented me recognizing here's something that could help me be the best version of me. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that to be true today. Reading is the most self-empowering tool a person could possess. Mm-hmm. It's not money. It is reading. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's powerful. How do you go about doing that, though, when you're a freshman in college? And how did you teach yourself to be a proficient reader? Did you reach out to somebody and ask for help? Did you practice? No, I mean, walking around saying I don't read so well and the most popular thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, in these videos that I was watching, I heard a, f- a few book recommendations. And the first okay. book recommendation I heard was titled uh, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this book. I have not. But it's like trying to read the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's not a book for, you know, sh- struggling readers. <laughs> so I pick up that book and I'm immediately immediately discouraged. I bet. Immediately. It took takes me about an hour to get off the first page. And wow. I'm having to Google every other word because my vocabulary isn't strong enough to, to kind of digest the book. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, well, I wasn't always a good football player. Mm, I, right. I, I couldn't have been. Right. Um, I had to learn how to do these things. Right. And I thought to myself, what was the process of me becoming a good football player? And what if I take that same process and I replicate it in, in relation to books? So I said, okay, the first step of becoming a football player is learning the fundamentals. Start from the lowest point and build upon that. So I go back to the bookstore, and instead of picking up the 48 Laws of Power, <laughs> I pick up the Very Hungry Caterpillar. Oh, And I started using picture books to build my vocabulary and understand sentence structure. Wow. And that's how I took the the natural progression to becoming the reader that I wanted to be, is I started from the most basic point. Hmm. I was a 19, 20-year-old college athlete walking around with the cat in the hat in my backpack. Did anybody know that, or did you keep it hidden? At the beginning, no one knew. Yeah. Um, it was just something that I wanted to accomplish, and no one would have cared initially because mm-hmm. I was still having success on the field. Yeah. And still today, if a professor walks in the room who discovered the – I don't know. I'm just going to make up something. Sure. If, if the if the If the doctor who walks in the room – who discovered the cure for cancer walks in and LeBron walks in, LeBron James walks in simultaneously. Who's going to get more attention? No, LeBron James. Right. Because <laughs> no one cares about the academic prowess when it's right. put beside right. an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sad part. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Because that guy who's curing cancer is probably doing more for the world than LeBron James. And I'm sure in some cases that can be argued, but 
Yeah, I went back to the bookstore and I I used picture books to help me build a foundation for reading. Mm. Um, And that's why I started writing writing them too. I was just going to ask that. (laughs) Is that the connection back to picture books? Yes, that is the connection. So I was watching your TED Talk video, which, by the way, we'll link our listeners in the show notes to that to that video. And I think in there you you talk about joining a book club. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that in that TED Talk video, there's actually a picture flashed. Yeah. Of you sitting in the center on the couch with all of these. Well, I'm just gonna say it. Old white ladies yeah. in a book club, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> You said that, not me. I did say that because I'm an old white lady, so I can say it. (laughs) What? Well, how did that happen? I start with picture books. I move to graphic novels. I move to young adult. And then I move to just traditional nonfiction fiction books. I'm reading whatever I want, but I have no one to share it with. Okay. There's this concept that my mom preached when I was a child you are who you hang around mm-hmm. and I still wasn't the reader that I wanted to be and I and I knew that I needed to surround myself with a group of readers to help foster an even greater love or, or, or deeper connection with this mm-hmm. and I started with Oprah's book club the only problem is it wasn't tangible enough for what I needed it was online Oh, right. There was no physical location. There was no one to meet with. And there was probably a chat section, but that's not what I I identified myself needing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am not joking when I say this, and it is just as random as it's going to sound. One day, a friend of mine uh, walks into my room and said, do you have any books you would recommend for the summer? And I had a trunk full of books. And I could have very easily have said, sure, go in the trunk and grab one. But I saw it as an opportunity for me to get a free ride to the bookstore. (laughs) (laughs) So I said no. And she said, well, let's go to the bookstore and you can pick out one for me. Okay. I said, great. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. I go to the bookstore and... Traditionally, I'd go to the bestsellers rack and I just look at whatever's doing well and I pick one of those books. Well, I get to the bestsellers rack and I look to the left. There's a lady who has about seven books in her hand. And I had never seen anything like it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if I'm looking for a book, I'm sure this person who's walking around with seven of them could give me a good book recommendation. Mm-hmm. So I think to myself, I'm going to walk up to her and ask. As I'm making my way towards her, I'll be honest with you, I I actually walked by her. She was an older white woman. I was a younger black guy. And I thought to myself, this ain't a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to be a reader so bad. Hmm. I mean, I just wanted it so bad, I didn't even care. I turned around, and I walked right up to her. And I said, I hate to bother you, but I'm just looking for a good book. Would you mind recommending one? And with joy on her face, she said, no problem at all. And she she kind of, I mean, she riddles off five or six books, and then she says, my book club is reading, and I hear book club. 
<laughs> and I say, here's the moment. Right. I've been looking for this. This is what I've been asking for. So before she can finish her, finish her sentence, I say, well, can I join your book club? <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> uh, she was taken aback. <laughs> I was going to say, the look on her face, maybe? <laughs> she... Uh, her first comment was, I don't think you want to join my book club. <laughs> and I, my response to her was, yes, I do. <laughs> she said, well, we're just a bunch of older, older women. I said, well, I really don't care. <laughs> I gave her my email address. Okay. And my name. Mm-hmm. And she said she'd reach out because she had to talk to the person who created the book club. Sure. Because no male had ever participated. Oh. Um, she goes back home and she does a little research and she finds out that I'm a University uh, of Georgia football player. Football player. She sends me an email and invi- invites me to the first book club um, meeting. And I showed up. And for two years, we met every second Tuesday of the month. That's awesome. And those women have played a huge role in me becoming the person I am today and the reader I've become as well. That's an amazing story. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at the picture, you, I may be a, a bit of an outlier, but, <laughs> you know, honestly, as I think about what the world is today, I would encourage more people to focus on on what you're trying to accomplish versus what people look like or you know I'm positive that we all had different religious beliefs the things that were obvious one I was the only black person right the other one I was the only male yeah I was the only one of my generation yeah and some of them became my greatest friends one is um, on the board of my foundation another I mentioned in a book it's like Take off, take off society's goggles so you can see what's really there. Yeah. You and know. what's so cool is it's, it was reading, it was books, it was literacy that yes. brought you together. But you had the courage to reach out, to ask to join that. I mean, that's, that's yeah. courage. Uh, or desperation. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. 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 Could be either or. Hmm. Both are useful. Hmm. That's, that's a good point. It's a good point. So when you left, so you left Georgia and then went to the NFL and played in the NFL. Correct. Did they were were those ladies still an important part of your yes. literary journey? They're still a part of it that's today. Great. Um, before I left the University of Georgia, I self-published my first picture book. Oh, that was before you left Georgia. Yeah, I, I and that was intentional because. I knew, based on my experience, if I waited until I was drafted to talk about the importance of literacy, I would have then given kids an excuse. Because I remember that's what I used to do. Let me break it down even more. Please. If a person gets drafted and they start giving back to their community, it's, oh, you're only doing that now because you have money. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right? Yep. And I said, I want to eliminate that excuse. That's amazing. So I'm going to do it when I don't have anything. Yep. So someone will not be able to say, I've only decided to do this because. Because. 
No, I decided to do this long before that. Hmm. So I, I, I self-published my first picture book um, in college because I wanted to, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want a child to be able to come up with any excuse <laughs> like I used to. So you were, you said you, you were a little bit of an artist. Did you, did somebody else illustrate this? Someone or else you illustrated. Okay. Yeah. I was okay. more of like the, uh, what would I consider my art style to be? Different than a kid's picture book, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just look at stuff and I don't know. I just say, that's cool. Or no, that's not that cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so book number one was self-published before you left the University of Georgia. Yes. When did you do t- numbers two and three? So after I left the university, Scholastic reached out, purchased the first book for me, and signed me off for a three-book deal. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah, so um, the second book was done in 2017, immediately after super, the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. And what year was the Super Bowl? 17. 2017? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I wrote my very favorite book in the whole wide world the week after the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I got to just stop for a second and say, I'm sitting, well, we're doing this in person for our listeners, which we don't usually do in person, but like I'm sitting across the table for somebody that's played in the Super Bowl. That's pretty cool. (laughs) And even cooler, wrote three kids books. I appreciate that. Even cooler. So how does former wide receiver in the NFL go from doing that to founding a literacy foundation? you got to have some really good people in your life. <laughs> um, I have a, a great team of people who um, took my ambitions and spearheaded them while I was on the field. Um, I think you have to – you do have to make a few sacrifices. Uh, I think opportunity cost is the word I'd use. you got to give up something for something else. Mm-hmm. And in, instead of my off season being full of travel, it was – it was travel, but it was travel to and from elementary schools, trying to encourage students students to read. Um, I don't honestly, I don't know how to answer that question, um, because I would like to say it was very intentional, but the truth is, I was just doing what I felt, mm-hmm. not necessarily what I thought was best. It's just I. I I know what it feels like to feel you only have a few options in life. Yeah. I know what it feels like to watch your family members suffer from something they can't even describe, which is low literacy. Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to have to go to your aunt's house to take a shower because your hot water is off or watch your mom miss a meal so your whole family can eat. I know those feelings. Mm Mm-hmm. And reading, to me, grants an individual the opportunity to break down any societal, environmental, social barriers that says you're only restricted to this. Hmm. Because once you read, you're exposed to everything, which means I then can believe I can be anything. And to me, that represents hope. And I just wanted to give children people the hope that my mom had given me so I don't know if it was intentional I just felt like that was what I was supposed to be doing and feel like that's what I'm still supposed to be doing 
and I enjoy doing it. What's the big focus that you're working on right now? What would you say the top of mind is for for you and the foundation? Book ownership is always top of mind. It's really hard to to practice reading if you don't have access to books. My foundation also creates digital platforms that allow educators to engage their students in literacy-based activities. Mm. Um, I think the cultural connectivity is the number one priority for me. It's it's eliminating the idea that... I'm just going to be straight up with you. How about that? I love straight up. I love it. Okay, so I was just in Austin, Texas, doing a um, a South by Southwest conference. I was on a panel. We were talking about the educational system and specifically black boys. Okay. And the conversation was, okay, why are black boys the lowest performing readers and why have they always been since the beginning of take, taking the statistic? Yeah. And I say, well, you got to ask yourself the question, is, is the concept or is the thought accidental or was it intentional? Mm, right? Yeah. And there's been intentional cultural disconnection between understanding education um, and how it could help you foster growth in life. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's not restricted to any particular group of people. I think it's more based on environment. Okay. And for me, the number one objective is to go into these environments and say, no, this tool actually works. Mm-hmm. And it will give you the greatest sense of value that you'll ever find. You know, I know there looks like there's an easier path. But you got to trust me. If you commit to the process, it'll take you further than you could ever imagine. Hmm. Have you seen that impact? Like, are there any individual stories you can think of where you're like, oh, my goodness, my message resonated with this kid or this person? And I periodically receive emails from educators. Yeah. Um, I don't do a great job of, and I probably should do a better job of, uh, I don't know, owning it maybe. I don't. It's tough to describe, and I don't want to complicate the the conversation. But it's like I don't think I set out. I don't think I. I don't think that's my ambition. My ambition isn't to receive any type of accolade. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's not really. I I am going. With the intent that I hope that's what happens. Right. That is why I make the choices that I make. Mm -hmm. But I'm not looking for anything in return. So that's, I receive those messages and I I do need to learn how to to better embrace them. Because I think it'll take you even further. I think I struggle with that uh, a little bit. Okay. I love that honest answer. Yeah. I love that honest answer. Well, so we have a, a, a huge, huge listener base. Yeah. Probably a different kind of listener base than, well, I don't know. You've been talking to educators a long time. So maybe folks know what you're doing out there. For sure they'll know after this. But what kind of messages would you want to give them, you know, outside of what you've already talked about to any educators? To any educators, I would say 
the way you communicate the way you communicate to your students has a defined impact on their beliefs and if you can't it is very important to culturally connect an example would be i remember when i was a child and my educator wanted me to read charlotte's web and when i asked her why she told me so i could pass the class well that was a false assumption that i cared about passing the class (laughs) Because yeah. I did not care about passing the class. Or Charlotte's Web, maybe. No. I mean, I mean, I felt bad for the spider dying, but I had friends who were actually being shot. Right. The moment I realized that reading created an opportunity or would create opportunities so my mom wouldn't have to work three, three jobs her whole life, I started to approach it differently. Hmm. Right. Education has to be tied to something, a tangible goal that a person wants to accomplish for them to fully invest in it. And when you think about students who are not reading or who are not paying attention, who are not engaged in the classroom, the question, the thing that I, I would assume is they, ha- they don't understand how this impacts their desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I hated lifting weights. Every moment of it, it hurts. <laughs> I, I don't like it. Yeah. But every single day, from the time I started playing football, from the time I stopped, I lift weights. Why? Because I understood how that was going to impact my outcome. Yeah. It's not whether people want to do something or not. It's whether they understand the value of it. Mm-hmm. And in certain situations, you know, when I walked outside of my, in my front door, Growing up, I didn't see doctors. There were no lawyers. I look at the neighborhood I live in now, and it's like, where were these people? Because if I saw this, well, then I would have understood the tangible results of education. Yeah. But no, I never saw that. And there are millions of kids around the world who will not see that. They will not be exposed to anything that gives them the understanding that my academic uh, performance will dictate my economic opportunities. You have to culturally connect. And when I saw Jay-Z, that's when I said, well, wait a minute. Um, I also would say um, i share a little bit more about my foundation, if that's okay. I'd love that. Yeah, I started Share the Magic Foundation in 2016. Uh, the mission is to change lives through literacy. We kind of do that. Th- we do that through two ways: in-school programs and virtual challenges. Um, our website is readwithmalcolm.com, where you can learn more about what we do. We just finished up one of our virtual challenges um, called Read Bowl. Um, it's where classrooms across the country compete to see who can read the most minutes on average in a four-week time span. And we had uh, over 110,000 students participate. Oh, that's amazing. At least one classroom in every state and seven countries participate. Oh, that's great. So um, try to think of innovative ways to create engagement because there is something that I learned also. Um, Having the information and the ability to teach is great. But if you don't have somebody willing to learn, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. So our virtual challenges created atmosphere that hopefully um, makes students willing to learn. And that opens the door for, I think, a, a teacher to, to do what they do best. Mm, that's great. Yeah. 
Congratulations on that. Again, we'll link our listeners in the show notes to that. I didn't realize you were in that many countries too. That's yeah. that's a that's a great reach. It's fun. Yeah. I don't think I can't I can't hold I can't holistically internalize it. I just you know, right? Like we said before we started recording. Right. Like I don't know how to yeah. wrap my head around that. Yeah. It's a big thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your time and for you joining us, but mostly appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Malcolm Mitchell. Find out more information about Malcolm's work and the Share the Magic Foundation at readwithmalcolm.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Join the conversation in our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading the Community. Science of Reading the Podcast is brought to you by Amplify. For more information on how Amplify leverages the science of reading, go to amplify.com slash ckla. Be sure to catch all our new episodes by subscribing to Science of Reading the Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate us and leave us a review. That will help more people hear from great guests like Malcolm Mitchell. Next time on the show, we've got another special episode for you. We're going to talk about strategies for educators to stay up to date on the latest literacy research with Dr. Nina Saha. I'd love to create, you know, sort of database of single case research design where you could look it up by a student's age, grade, race when trying to figure out what works for them individually. That's next time on Science of Reading the Podcast. Thank you again for listening.